All right, welcome back, everyone. This is the soon-to-be-named podcast with your humble host, Mr. Justin Stapleton. Guess what? It's halfway through the NFL season. How's your fantasy team looking so far? Well, if you're like me and probably thousands of other folks, you're either sitting at about uh, four and four or at about five and two. Some uh, interesting games that we've seen so far on the uh, first half of the NFL season. Not only that, NFL protests, and of course, uh, what we just got done with a little bit ago was, was a very active trade deadline. So I bring on the phone with me here a good old friend of mine. He's not old, but we've known each other for a while, so we'll go with it there. Uh, Mr. Steve Anders, he is with 4for4.com, is a fantasy football website. We're the best out there, one of the more accurate ones out there as well, as they can tell you. Steve, welcome to the podcast. You know, I wasn't old when we first met, Justin, but I may be starting to qualify for that designation now. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I hear you, brother. Catch it. It's still undefeated, right? Father time. That's right. That's right. So tell me about, you know, what did you see so far? We're, we're you know, eight games into the season, about to be week nine as we're getting started here uh, tomorrow night. What's been a, a big surprise, or I guess who's playing to a level that you hadn't really anticipated at the beginning of this year? Well, let's just start with where you guys are located down in Houston. Deshaun Watson has to be the biggest surprise in all of fantasy football. And even over the last few weeks when he's really heated up and had the rushing production to raise his fantasy floor, a lot of us still thought that he was matchup dependent. And then he goes into Seattle and has the shootout of the year, and now he's matchup proof. So he's now on the level of Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers when he was healthy, Russell Wilson, who also balled out in that same game. I think that he is matchup proof the rest of the season, which is not something I thought would happen when he took over as starter. But he's shown it. He's continued to play really well, and that's great. On the opposite end of the spectrum, Drew Brees has really surprised me. He disappointed me. He only has 11 passing touchdowns for seven games this year. This is a guy who year over year has been the most consistent quarterback in fantasy football. He has nine straight seasons with 20, at least 28 passing touchdowns, and nobody else even has five. So for him to be on a less than 28 passing touchdown pace at this point in the season – that really surprises me. Um, at running back, I think Lamar Miller is a bit of a surprise, and he's not being efficient in Houston. His yards per carry are still down, but his snap percentage is among the elite running backs in fantasy football. He's up there with the Kareem Hunts, with the LaShawn McCoys, the Le'Veon Bells. So that gives him more opportunity, and we saw even though he didn't have a great yardage total in Seattle, he still scored two touchdowns because he's on the field so often. At wide receiver, I think Des Bryant has been a disappointment, but I still think there's promise for him because now Ezekiel Elliott, at least at the time we're recording this, looks like he's going to be suspended for six games. If Zeke is out for six games, then Des Bryant's target share will remain high, even though he hasn't caught a lot of those passes. His targets are still top ten in the NFL and his schedule gets much easier with far fewer elite cornerbacks that he has to face down the stretch here if you're trying to make the fantasy playoffs. Yeah, and, you know, I know that that's something down in Houston here. We've really, I mean, it's been years. Even when David Carr got here when the franchise was introduced, 
Um, you know, the potential was there. Well, I watched him play at Fresno State. You watched him play. But, you know, I think it's it's more of a matter of just Deshaun having those intangibles. And I know that's kind of a such a cliche word in sports these days. But I can tell you from watching him week in and week out, that's really what it is. It's his ability to not only make a continuation of a play, a la like an Aaron Rodgers, for example, but then uncork an absolute cannon blast uh, down to Will Fuller, who for you know this season in any way has learned that his hands can catch footballs and he can come down with them. And with Deshaun, I think the, the best way to describe the intangibles factor is the fact that he has experience playing on a big stage in prime time when everybody's watching him in his days at Clemson. He shocked the world when he beat Alabama to win the national championship. And I think we have to give credit to the coaching staff as well. We've seen so many times where an NFL coaching staff or a quote-unquote offensive guru will try to force a prospect to play in his system, and he doesn't fit that system. Well, Bill O'Brien is taking the Russell Wilson approach with Watson and making him get out of the pocket by design, let him use his mobility as a weapon, and finding matchups on the field where he can exploit that. Because one of, the na- one of the knocks on him coming out was velocity on his throws. So I think he's probably put that to bed a little bit. But a good way to combat that is to roll him out of the pocket, get some good matchups, and also it, it doesn't hurt to throw the ball to DeAndre Hopkins, who even if your target is not accurate, he can still find a way to bring it down. So he has some help around him. Uh, but I still think you got to give credit to the coaching staff as well for not forcing him to be a pocket quarterback. Yeah, I would agree. That's something that we've all been really pleased with down here is the fact that O'Brien hasn't tried to put him under the leash, so to speak, and let Deshaun be Deshaun. So let's get into some of the more disappointments. You mentioned Drew Brees. Great stat that you had there. What do you think about Matt Ryan? Matt Ryan, uh, at the beginning of the year, how high was he on you're on 444.com's list of, you know, can't-miss quarterbacks. And, you know, what do you think some of the struggles are that you've seen so far this year? So I'm pretty pleased with where we had him at the beginning of the year. We didn't have him as a top-five quarterback okay. where most of the consensus was at draft time for a couple of reasons. Uh, his, I'll say, efficiency in the red zone last year was not only elite, but it was among the all-time greats. And if you look at Matt Ryan's career portfolio, he had nowhere near come close to that. So regression and coming back to the mean is undefeated as well as father time. So for we expected Matt Ryan to, to play a little bit more towards his career averages than what we saw last year, especially when you add the factor that Kyle Shanahan moved on from Atlanta to go to San Francisco. That's how it's played out. Um, so, so that doesn't surprise us too much with Matt Ryan. Uh, we, we liked some of the other quarterbacks who had more of a, a resume to their name. Aaron Rodgers got hurt, unfortunately, but Tom Brady as well. Uh, we liked Russell Wilson. We thought he had a really good schedule of teams who, who struggled against the pass. And nobody could have expected them to completely abandon the run at this point, but he's been unleashed. Um, his, his career total in passing attempts has steadily increased to the point where last year he had 560, which was a career high in pass attempts for Russell Wilson. 
and now he's on pace for 590 pass attempts. So with his efficiency and his career track record, we had him as a top-five quarterback over Matt Ryan, and it looks like that is starting to play out uh, swimmingly if you have Russell Wilson in fantasy. Yeah, I, I, I would definitely agree with that. I think last week's game, you know, funny enough, that at least down in uh, Texas here, sort of got, I don't want to say pushed aside, but it was, was on sort of a side burner anyway, uh, given that the uh, Astros were getting ready to uh, play in the game later that evening. So a uh, wild day there for sure. Um, what are some of the trends do you think that you're going to see going into the rest of the season here? Um, you know, some of that being now that Zeke Elliott looks like he's going to have to sit his six games. That's going to change how the Cowboys, I would think, in their outlooks, or at least from a fantasy perspective, uh, you know, how effective Dak Prescott could be. Uh, the fact that the Eagles are really taking charge of that division. Uh, the, you know, the Patriots defense does not look like, Patri- uh, you know, the type of Patriots defense we're used to. Kind of what, what are some trends that, that you're looking at as, as we get ready to go into the second half here? Well, I'll start with the Patriots defense because it's funny you mention them because I was just looking at this the other day, and they were pitiful the first couple of weeks, but they've actually been better than the NFL average over the past, three to four games here. So they have improved, which has very much surprised me. So I don't think it's an automatic start everybody against the Patriots anymore the way it is, say, against um, the Browns. We'll put it that way. Um, But just getting ready for the fantasy playoffs, there are some names that I think if you look at our adjusted uh, fantasy points allowed to each position. You can target these names and trades to try and set yourself up for a fantasy postseason run. At quarterback, some of the names that have really easy schedules from week 14 to 16 are Tyrod Taylor. That would be one. Um, Drew Brees, if you can buy low on him, he does have a good fantasy schedule with two games against Atlanta and then the New York Jets sandwiched in in week 15. If you're looking at Running backs with good schedules from weeks 14 to 16. Uh, maybe Derrick Henry, if he takes over some of that work for DeMarco Murray, who has an expiring contract. But the, the biggest name to me is Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara. It's probably going to be really hard to get Mark Ingram now because since that, that Adrian Peterson trade, Ingram has literally been the number one running back in fantasy football and PPR leagues. Uh, but Lamar Miller has a very easy schedule, not only in the fantasy postseason, but also in these next coming weeks. He is going to be easily a top-10 running back in Week 9 against the Indianapolis Colts and has a couple other easy matchups coming up as well. Um, I'll give you one more running back name here down the stretch. Devontae Freeman might be a good name to target. If the Freeman owner wants to sell on him, he's had a couple of rough weeks here from this week seven to week nine. He has a good fantasy postseason schedule. And among wide receivers, I'll just throw out a couple names here. I think Sterling Shepard is going to be a target hog with Odell Beckham and Brandon Marshall being out for the year. He literally plays on the team that has the number one easiest fantasy postseason schedule from week 14 to 16 in our rankings. Um, the Carolina receivers, I can't really trust them, but with Kelvin Benjamin being traded to Buffalo, I think Devin Funches is a good flex target to go out and grab for the fantasy postseason if you need help at receiver or help at your flex. Um, maybe even the Oakland receivers, 
or the Dolphins receivers who also have easy fantasy schedules in the postseason. Yeah, we're talking with Steve Andrus. He is one of the fantasy football exer- experts, I should say, at 444.com. That is a uh, great, great fantasy website uh, if you want to get And not just because they, you know, I think what I, what I like about 444, Steve, is that, you know, I don't feel like you guys are the hot take guys. It's a, hey, hot take, hot take, this and that. You actually do your <laughs> research, you know. And like you said before, it, it's all matchups and trends and what have we seen historically from this player. You mentioned a second ago Kelvin Benjamin getting traded to the Bills. Interestingly enough, because people, you know, one of the hot rookie names early this season was Zay Jones uh, for the Bills that just does not materialize. Oh, what a mess he is. Right, exactly. You know, I had him on one of my teams and eventually about two weeks ago said, okay, you know, this isn't going to happen for this. And, and, you know, that's, I think, a trend that people always want to find. Where's that flashy, fast uh, rookie name out there? And Aaron Jones, for example, with Green Bay, who's really lit it up from UTEP. Uh, give a, a, a quick comment on what do you, what did you think about the trade deadline moves? Much more active than we've seen the last couple of years, but teams really trying to plug some serious holes. For example, like you mentioned with the Bills, or of course uh, with the Eagles as well. Oh man, it was awesome uh, from a fantasy perspective, man. Trying to figure out what to do, trying to exploit these new acquisitions in your leagues. Um, let's hit a couple of these, too. I mean, I thought the Jay Ajayi trade was a huge trade in real life, but I think that there's very little fantasy benefit for either team. Interesting. The Dolphins still are terrible. Yeah. Their offensive line is a joke. And I'm speaking as somebody who lives in Miami currently and <laughs> follows this a little more closely than others. Uh, so Kenny and Drake and Damian Williams are not exactly guys I'm excited about whatsoever. I see it being more of a split with Damian Williams kind of playing more of a Danny Woodhead-type passing down role, maybe even in the red zone. Uh, but the majority of carries, I think, will go to Kenyon Drake. But the offense stinks. I mean, the, it's been so bad that they're actually excited to get Jay Cutler back as the starting quarterback. Which says and nobody in the history of the NFL has been excited to have <laughs> Jay Cutler back. Yeah. So... <laughs> bad. Uh, the Kelvin Benjamin trade, I'd say pretty much the same thing. Um, he wasn't really that big of a fantasy impact in Carolina. He's now going to an offense that is primarily a run-first offense with LaShawn McCoy. Charles Clay will be back in a couple of weeks, who seems to be Tyrod Taylor's most trusted target. So yes, it gives him another weapon, but let's not underestimate how hard it is to not only be traded in the preseason to go to a new team, We've seen players struggle with that, but now in the middle of the season, I see that's a struggle. And then the biggest name, Jay Ajayi, yes, he's going to a much better offense. So I will say that it can't be worse for Jay Ajayi (laughs) going from Miami to Philadelphia. But at least for the first couple of weeks, it seems they have to get him acclimated. The biggest reason Miami traded him is because he was terrible at assignment football, and if the Eagles can't trust him, this seems like a trade with a young running back who has a couple of years left on his contract, or Garrett Blunt's on a one-year deal. This seems like a no-brainer for them for the future, but for all of us who play fantasy football, he's not going to come anywhere close to the 23 touches a game he was getting in Miami, which means he's going to have to be much more efficient. And he's also going to have to get the goal line carries and I'm not sure that they're going to just seed that away from LeGarrette Blunt. So I think a lot of these deadline moves were a lot of fun and they were flashy, 
I think, in my opinion, the one player who benefited the most from these deadline deals was maybe Carlos Hyde of the San Francisco 49ers. That offense was a train wreck with Brian Hoyer and now C.J. Beathard, and maybe in a couple of weeks if Jimmy Garoppolo get in, can get in there and maybe at least play close to a league-average type offense, that will give Carlos Hyde much fewer snaps in a negative game script environment, and he could get much more volume in the second half of the season. Now, it's interesting when you mentioned that. That's, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo for here in Houston as well was a hot name. Uh, a couple. He's been a hot name for anybody for the last three or four years. Isn't that what they always say that's the hottest guy on the team is the backup QB? Right. You know? Uh, but why do you think now the Patriots finally pulled the trigger on that? You know, and, and, and I saw a lot of, lot of disagreement, let's put it that way, from some of the uh, – Sports writers and uh, folks on television saying, "Look, you've got a forty, you know, forty-plus-year-old quarterback there who's one hit away from that's the end. You don't have a viable backup, and the guy that knows the system, quote, so to speak, uh, you just trade away." Yeah, I think it was. I tend to agree with Dan Patrick, who said this week that he felt the Patriots overplayed their hand with Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. This is a salary cap situation. The, literally the only possible way they're going to be able to keep Jimmy Garoppolo next season is if they franchise tagged him, which then means you're paying your backup quarterback $20 million a year on top of another you know, 14 or so million that you're paying Tom Brady, which is a relative discount. But with 34 to $40 million of quarterback payroll, and a defense that has already struggled this year and doesn't have much depth, it would just be a you know, a salary cap nightmare. So um, I think they probably could have gotten more if they traded him around draft time. But, um, you know, they realize you take what you can get for him now, so I can't blame them for that. I find it a little ironic that reportedly the Browns had offered more potentially previously, but uh, Bill Belichick didn't want to trade him to his old team. Um, and, you know, whether that's sour grapes or just competitive, not wanting to trade them within the conference, I don't know. But, um, you know, it just seems like they overplayed their hand a little bit. From a fantasy perspective, it doesn't really matter much. From a real-life perspective, I'm of the opinion that if your starting quarterback goes down, you're probably not winning the Super Bowl anyway. But we are talking about the Patriots who started this whole dynasty winning the Super Bowl with a backup quarterback. So who knows? That's a good point. Yeah, it's so where do you think – who's hot on your list, I would say, of teams that you think are on the rise? Or in particular, we'll, we'll kind of we'll par that into two parts of this question. Uh, players that may be on the rise over the next four to five weeks. You know, somebody that could get a hot hand that you want to ride in your fantasy team. Well, I'll give you a name who already had a hot hand last week, and that's the Colts tight end Jack Doyle. Yeah, um, love he got him. a lot of yeah, he got a lot of flack in Week Eight for dropping some passes. Um, I'm sorry, in, in Week Seven, I take it back. I'm sorry, Jack Doyle in Week Six when he played Tennessee had some drop passes. He had six catches for 44 yards against the Jags, but then exploded against Cincinnati. Twelve catches for 121 yards and a touchdown. So. He had 14 targets in that game two weeks before against Tennessee, despite the drops, had 11 targets. So uh, it doesn't look like Andrew Luck's coming back anytime soon. We talked about guys with good fantasy playoff schedules. We didn't touch on the tight ends. Jack Doyle's one of those guys. He has three matchups from week 14 to 16 against teams that are 
outside our top 20 in adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends against Buffalo and then Denver, who's ranked 28th. And if you get to the championship, Baltimore, who's 29th against tight ends this year. So that's a big name. Um, other tight ends I think you could target for late in the year. Um, maybe even Vernon Davis. I mean, Jordan Reed just cannot stay healthy. Um, from week three on, when Jordan Reed was already on the field, Vernon Davis was still a top top ten tight end in fantasy football. So now with Reed out, he's going to get some heavy targets because it already looks like Kirk Cousins doesn't trust his outside receivers with Terrell Pryor slash Josh Doxson, Ryan Grant's getting some work. Um, it just seems like that they're trying to work the offense through the middle of the field because the guys on the outside are not playing well. Um, some other surprises, I think. Uh, I would kind of stay away from Amari Cooper still. I, I'm just have never been a huge Amari Cooper fan for fantasy. This is just one of those situations where you get a lot of people who get excited about Amari Cooper because you can count on one hand the number of NFL receivers who have had 1,000 yards in the first two years of their career. But from fantasy, this is not rotisserie fantasy baseball, where what matters is your total points at the end of the year. This is a weekly game in fantasy football, and consistency matters. So when Amari Cooper goes off against the Chiefs for 40-plus points, everybody gets excited and then starts to ignore the previous month where he – some games didn't even have 20 yards. Right. And then the following week, after he goes off against the Chiefs, in part because he literally played, if you look at Pro Football Focus's rankings, he literally played the cornerback who has given up the most yards in the NFL this year. And the following week against Buffalo, an actual defense with good cornerbacks, only five catches for 48 yards. So if he's only going to catch less than 60% of his targets, which is what he's done not only this year but for his career, then he better keep getting those 19 targets that he got against the Kansas City Chiefs when he went off, and I just don't see that happening. So there's a difference between boomer bust guys and consistent guys, and if I can get 12 to 15 points a week from somebody, I would much rather have that than Amari Cooper, who's going to have an inflated ranking among receivers at the end of the year based on a couple of big games, who is going to wind up losing you more weeks and probably knocking you out of the fantasy playoffs before you even get to the championship. Yeah, that's why I've always felt someone like a Doug Baldwin, for example, isn't very flashy. You know, he's not an Antonio Brown, but he will be there and will catch six, seven, eight catches a game and will just slowly stack the yards up so that you've got, you know, some success uh, with someone like that throughout every single week. Absolutely. And, yeah. and I will say this about the Seahawks, though, that unless you are among the elite teams in your fantasy league right now who are, are going to get a first-round bye and not have to play week 14, you may want to beware of the Seahawks receivers. As, as awesome as they've been, They're going to, a lot of people are going to ride them into the fantasy playoffs, but there is a Week 14 matchup looming at Jacksonville. Ooh. And I just saw a stat today that Jacksonville's defense is giving up the fewest points to fantasy quarterbacks of any defense, not only this year, but in the past 15 years. And it wow. is carried over to fantasy receivers as well. Now, I think Doug Baldwin might get a little bit of a bump because he plays in the slot, and Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Boye mostly play on the outside. But that 
If I have Russell Wilson in my league of record, I'm really excited for him. He went off against Houston. But I'm sitting there, I'm like, man, I better get a bye week here and not have to play week 14, or I might have a decision to make. And I can't believe I have to say that because Russell Wilson <laughs> has been incredible, but Jacksonville's defense has been even more incredible. Yeah, they really have. They've, they've been, you know, in, in my eyes anyway, one of the, uh, I don't even want to say surprise, it was one of those that people ahead of time early this season said, hey, this Jacksonville defense is for real. I can tell you from living here in, you know, being in Houston, Texas, uh, when A.J. Boye left here and went to Jacksonville, there was a lot of quiet murmuring under the scene that folks were saying that is going to be a massive loss for the secondary mm-hmm. of the Texans here. And it's been proven that they can, you know, let's just, as you just said a minute ago, look what Wilson did to the Texans secondary yeah. and just turned him into rotisserie chicken. Uh, for three hours, you know, and Boye was one of those. He was one of those uns, um, kind of unspoken guys here, just one of the better uh, defensive backs in the uh, in the league that didn't get a lot of uh, airplay. It's just incredible what a difference a year makes because last year we're looking at the Texans having this elite defense and having to win with defense. They were basically the Jaguars last year. Yep. And now we're looking at them and they're having to win with shootouts. Yep. It's, it's just crazy what a couple injuries do. Um, you know, you, you guys obviously you got some three really big key pieces hurt on defense down yeah. there. So, I mean, it, it's crazy what how much of a, of a difference that makes. And, and you know, it, it, it has not ceased to amaze me yet that the Browns have passed on now Deshaun Watson, <laughs> Carson Wentz, and wanted to trade a second and a third round pick if their fax machine worked. For AJ McCarron, it just—it's unbelievable the ineptitude over there. Yeah, and and yet the general manager and the front office folks are still in those seats. I don't really understand it myself. I'll tell you that. I was reading the Cle—the whole thing is—it's—it's it's too good for Hollywood. You can't make it up. I yeah. was reading an article from the Cleveland newspapers that um, this seemed like a Hugh Jackson move, and somebody in the front office lost the uh, lost the sheet that was supposed to be faxed that they didn't want to—they didn't want because I mean. The track record shows that Cleveland values their draft picks. They've made all kinds of moves to get as many draft picks as possible. They right. took Brock Osweiler's contract for an extra second-round pick. That's how much they like draft picks. So it doesn't shock me in the least that there's a coach desperate to find a quarterback and a front office who doesn't want to give up those draft picks, especially when they already passed on two big names. I can't imagine that Sashi Brown and all those sabermetrics guys were all of a sudden going to want to give up a second- and a third-round pick for a backup quarterback. It just doesn't make sense for what they what their plan has been to this point. No, it certainly doesn't. All right, we're here with Steve Andrus. He is one of our fantasy football experts at 4for4.com. Steve, tell folks a little bit about 4for4 four four, uh, if they're not familiar. You know, everybody knows the ESPN, Yahoo, and, and some of the others, but, um, you know, what, what what's the advantage that they can get if they uh, get a subscription to 4for4? Four four? So I'll preface this with, this is a website that I was a customer at for two years when I was trying to, you know, navigate the fantasy football wilderness and, and get some more consistency and win some leagues before I started to work for them. And I liked their product so much that I reached out to them to see if I could start doing some work for them. And this is a, a fantasy football website that is literally the most accurate in the country since 2010. And a lot of that credit goes to our senior editor, John Paulson, who does all our rankings every week. He's a great follow on Twitter as well, at 44 underscore John. And if you're a subscriber to our website, what you're going to find is not only 
those most accurate rankings on a weekly basis to help you navigate. But you'll also see rest of season rankings to start making those moves and getting ready for the for the fantasy postseason. You will see a tool called the Player Trade Evaluator that will literally help you just take a value for each player, assign it to each player in your deal, and help you decide if it's a good deal or not. On top of that, there are custom scoring rankings. So if you have a league with some some statistics and some settings that are a little different than the normal league, you can plug those into our website and you will get rankings completely tailored to your league settings. If you play DFS with FanDuel and DraftKings, our DFS subscription will take all the human error out of setting up your FanDuel and DraftKings lineups. You use a lineup generator. You just pick 50 players that you want to consider in your FanDuel and DraftKings lineups, and the computer will automatically tell you which FanDuel or DraftKings lineup has the highest projected score for that week. So, like I said, as a customer, this worked for me last year, just kind of screwing around with the lineup generators. I took 20 bucks and was able to turn it into $200 in a span of five weeks. So, um, you know, I, I think our, our senior staff does a great job, and, and I, wouldn't, I wouldn't work for them if I didn't believe in the product myself. Amen to that. That sounds good. Well, Steve, good uh, hanging with you today on the podcast. I appreciate it. Come on back and uh, see us when we get closer to playoff time. Be real curious to hear what your thoughts are on that. Absolutely, man. I hope when everybody is listening to this that the Astros are World Series champions. So if not, it was a great season, and uh, thanks again for having me on. Anytime, my friend, anytime. All right, and that's going to do it for the podcast today. Uh, again, if you want uh, podcasts, uh, all you got to do is uh, head on over to the uh, Google Play or head to the App Store as well, and you can find our podcast, download it. We've got not only the one with uh, Steve and myself here, but also plenty of other great information as well. Barbecuing, we're talking sports, we're talking all kinds of things that you, as a dude, need to know about. All right, I'm Justin Stapleton. This is Soon to Be Named Podcasts. We'll see you guys on the flip side. Later.